As you know, is a reference to the movie Green Mile. So, it makes sense that I say that for two reasons. It is Movie Monday, and I am Dog Tad Boss. Oh, man. One thing I like to say at the top of every show, most importantly, I think, on Movie Mondays, is that there will be spoilers. So, uh, this is your one and only, probably, Spoiler warning, you have been warned. Another thing that I say, quite often, if not always, is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you subscribe to it on iTunes. Perhaps you even rate and comment. I would appreciate it. Hmm. Payment asked for and received? Question mark? I don't know. We will see. What we will see. What we will see. Today's sponsor is Bill's Bow Bag Insurance. Once again, today's sponsor is Bill's Bow Bag Insurance. The only bow bag insurance trusted by uh, people such as Legolas, Green Arrow, and even Robin Hood. Once again, today's sponsor is Bill's Bow Bag Insurance. That was a little tease for what I am going to attempt to do, which is get three movies done on the way to work, a trilogy, in fact, and get one movie done on the way home. The one on the way home, just to warn slash tease, is of course The Hobbit, an unexpected journey. Alright, let's see if I can do that. Hmm. Okay, the trilogy in question that I watched over the long... What are you doing, you stupid idiot? The trilogy that I watched on the weekend is of course the Oceans trilogy. Oceans 11? Oceans 12, and Oceans 13. Yes, it's been a while since I've seen these, so I decided to dust them off. Uh, sort of the main reason I did so is that the missus wanted to watch Oceans 11. So I said, yeah, okay, 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 but let's wheel and deal here. Uh, we can watch it if you don't mind if I watch 12 and 13 tomorrow. And she said, yeah, I don't care. Do what you gotta do, dudes. She says to me, she says. She didn't actually say that, but let's assume she did. So I have brought them back for your listening pleasure. Uh, I kind of... Very, very rarely do I think about what I am going to rate things beforehand. Uh, but this time I kind of did. I thought what I would do is... Yeah, okay, let's stick with what I thought I would do. Which is give each movie a four. <laughs> Just to do a total unprofessional movie review and give my number 
review right off the bat so I don't have to worry about it and forget about it because sometimes I do think I forget. For example, I think in last her video games day, uh, in which I talked about Terraria, I spoke very, very highly of it, but I don't think I actually gave my rating, which was 5 out of 5, just FYI. So, there you go. Rating received by yous. Okay, let's see what the old notes have to say. Starting with Oceans 13. No! That is ridiculous. Why would I do that? I did not do that. I'm going to start with Oceans... I'm going to start with Oceans 11. Hmm. If there was an Oceans 1 through 10, I would start in chron chronological order. But they do not, so I will just do Oceans 11 first. Totally logical, like so many Vulcans. The movie starts with Danny Ocean, played by Mr... Oh, shit. Uh, I should warn that I didn't write down basically any names. Uh, George Clooney. Yeah, that's a name I didn't think I would need to write down. And turns out I did not. Danny Ocean being released from prison after four years for committing a, a robbery. Or as Batista from the television show Dexter would say, a wobbly. Committed a wobbly. We don't uh, learn too much about this initial robbery, wobbly, <laughs> other than the fact that it was apparently for some African relics or some such. Uh, he told his then-wife at the time, played by Miss Julia Roberts, uh, that he was just going to get out, going to get a pack of cigarettes or something to that effect, and did not come back. So she, needless to say, was not too impressed with this fact. Too, not too impressed to the point where she moved on, started dating, moved in with, I think, even Mr. Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia, who plays, I don't think he... Just on this note, I don't think he owns these casinos. I don't think that's true, is it? He just runs them? Maybe he does own them. I never really sorted that part out, whether it's uh, just running them or own them thing. He takes it very, very personal, his casinos, so kind of gives the impression of owning. But do owners of casinos ever run and manage them? That would seem odd. Anyways, uh, so... Danny Ocean decides he needs revenge for stealing, as he thinks, his ex-wife. Oh no. How is he going to get this revenge? Well, he is a uh, master criminal, although master criminal who was in jail for four years for criminalizing. Uh, I don't think he can be too masterful. Criminal and uh, con man, I should mention, because a lot of the Ocean series is not just so much the Wobbies. Uh, as the conning of people. So George Clooney decides that the only way to get his revenge is to rob the three casinos owned or operated by Andy Garcia. The three casinos which, uh, I don't think this is realistic in real life, for some reason only use one sort of giant vault located in the basement of one of the casino, one of the casinos, that kind of goes against the don't put your eggs, all your eggs in one basket sort of philosophy. I don't think that would actually exist where three casinos would pool all of their money into one vault. Seems strange. Ah, oh, shit. Yowzas. Gonna get a coffee, but the lineup's at the door. Alright, gonna go down the street a bit. Okay, I was going to stop and get a coffee, but the place I normally stop off 
the lineup of cars was into the street, and I hate lines, so I'm going to move on to the next coffee shop, see how I do there. I have to stop, regardless, because as I mentioned, dog tired, boss. Uh, okay, so that gives me a chance to finish Ocean's Eleven here. Uh, my favorite part of this movie, I think, is just Danny Ocean's gathering of the people he needs in order to pull off his heist. It's very, uh, it's fun. It's just kind of a fun gathering of crooks and uh, con men and rob and wobbers. Good, uh, good times. All very, uh, very good character actors, I guess you would say. Played them. I, I'm not. I decided I'm not going to bring back just because this is such a large sort of ensemble cast. I wasn't going to write down every single person's name and who plays them. You can find that for yourself on a little site that I love to use for movie-related stuffs called uh, IMDB or IMDB. To give you a little idea, uh, another thing I decided to do with these reviews is to not give away how they pull off these giant heists because they are so elaborate and uh, sort of I believe well written and thought out that uh, I hope that you watch them for yourself because it's it's cool to see how they they go about these things. What I did decide to do is just to sort of tease them with uh, sort of some of the things they needed in order to accomplish each of these robberies in each of these movies. Huh? Is that a thought? Well, it is a thought. Is it a good thought? I don't know. Let me know. You could do so at the email address provided in the closing credits. Would love to hear from you. Or you can tweet at me on the Twitter. I am Jordan underscore Maywin. Lovely. So, in Ocean's Eleven, some of the things they need needed were uh, a replica of the vault. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Why would they need that? I don't know. Well, I do know, but I'm not going to say. Uh, another thing they would need was the password for the vault. How would they get that? <laughs> You'll have to see for yourself. Something else they would need is, of course, a uh, EMP bomb, let's call it. A electromagnetic pulse bomb. So, uh, you may know, I, I don't know, I, I did know, that when an atomic bomb is exploded, it also lets loose a electromagnetic pulse, which basically fries electronics. Uh, sun, sun flares also do this, so they need one of these. Uh-huh. Now, one thing about their use of this is that I thought, and maybe I'm incorrect in this thought, that when electronics are fried with an EMP, that's it. They no longer work. However, in this movie, it's uh, they just sort of need to be rebooted, which only takes about 30 seconds. So, I don't know how accurate that is. Uh, one funny scene involving that, in which Don Cheadle, who in these movies kind of plays the, I guess you could sort of say, explosives, technically-minded kind of dude... Uh, he's about to set off this bomb, and he's standing, like, feet away from it. Because another thing about EMP, it doesn't really have any effect on uh, living matter. It's just electronics. <laughs> Despite that that fact, he still covers his balls before he lets it off. Uh, like that. Uh, one, yeah, sure. One last thing they need, of course, is a small acrobatic uh, Chinese guy. Hmm? That's just some of the list of things needed to pull off this heist. Move on to Ocean's Twelve. Oh 
baby. This movie starts off with everyone just sort of living their life. They completed this heist, uh, I guess it was years ago, and they're just kind of flowing, going with the flow, living their lives. Now, something you should know about Andy Garcia from these movies is he is a bit of a badass, and you do not want to go against him. So, the other sort of start of this movie is him visiting each of the ten people, ten, eleven, whatever it is, people from the first movie, being like, hey, okay, I know what you did, and you're a goddamn dead man, unless he throws them a sort of a lifeline, I guess you could call it, unless you repay all of the money you stole plus interest. So the sort of gathering of the team this time, which is one of my favorite parts of these movies, is actually done by Mr. Andy Garcia, who is sort of, how would you say it? He, he's gathering them to complete this task. However, oh God, people are really looking for their coffee today. Yeah, yeah. So the gathering of the group was done by Andy Garcia this time around. So that's kind of a cool little twist. And he will basically murder them all and their families unless they get this money back. The total that he wants uh, ends up being $200 million or thereabouts. Or thereabouts. Uh, the way this scenario starts out is that the group, I guess specifically Danny Ocean, decides that um, because there is obviously a timeline set by Mr. Andy Garcia, there's no way they can plan such an elaborate heist so quickly, so they need a little breathing space. So Andy Garcia agrees that with two and a half million dollars, it'll give them a couple extra days or something to that effect. So they decide to rob a dude who lives in Amsterdam, who has some sort of document. I think it was the first stock or bond uh, kind of ever created, worth two and a half million dollars, okay? Uh, a very elaborate plan is needed to get this document, including, and this is kind of where your suspension of disbelief is needed, including the fact that uh, in order to shoot a crossbow bolt into uh, this gentleman's building, uh, they need to raise his building by a couple inches in order to make this shot. Unbelievable? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, they complete the shot, make it in to where the safe is located, start to sort of break out their equipment to break in the safe, and the safe, uh, I like that part, the safe swings open because it has already been robbed. What? Someone has beaten them to the punch. Someone by the name of the Night Fox. The Night Fox, who is sort of, kind of, sort of, I guess you could describe him as the the number one thief in the world. The most masterful of all master thieves. He, played by a, well, I don't know if he's played by, he's a French gentleman who sort of heard through the grapevine someone uh, praise Danny Ocean for his thieving abilities, and uh, someone who said that Danny Ocean is the greatest thief in the world. And then he's like, no, 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 Zutalor, perhaps he said, I am going to fix his little red wagon and out-thieve him. Aha! So this is where the sort of movie takes off from the point that uh, it is about Danny Ocean trying to out-thieve this master thief. Uh, if he does so, 
the Master Thief will pay off this debt um, to Andy Garcia's character. Uh-huh. Now, again, I decided I didn't want to give it away, so I just kind of wrote down some things needed uh, to steal this item. Uh, specifically, the item is a Fabergé egg, which you may have heard of. It's kind of a fancy uh, gold, diamond, jewel-encrusted egg. Yeah, something quite often to do with Russians, I think. I think the Russians created them, Russian royalty, way back in the day. Okay, about to get my coffee. This has been a goddamn long line. I will edit, edit, edit this out and be back in a moment. Editing, editing, editing. On the road, etc. No time for that. So, the things they needed to complete their mission in Ocean's 12 include a hologram. Okay, here, here's something interesting. They needed George Clooney's wife, played by Julia Roberts, whose name is Tess, to pretend to be the actress Julia Roberts. What? Little, uh, <laughs> I don't know, kind of a cool, I think Ocean's 12 is kind of famous for the, for doing that kind of weirdness. An actress playing a person who then plays the actress who is herself? Yeah. <laughs> Some funny scenes there involving Bruce Willis as himself uh, interacting with Julia Roberts playing Tess playing Julia Roberts. I like I like that stuff there. Duh, we're going to need a whole bunch of fake cops at certain points. Uh, we're going to need two plans. We're going to need one super elaborate plan and one fairly simple, even I could do it plan. Aha! Sort of, uh, sort of very magician-like in that the elaborate plan is sort of there for distraction. Whereas the simple plan is the behind-the-scenes, here's how we did it. Alright? Not giving too, too much away. Okay, better hurry to get Ocean's 13 in before I get to work. This one, the bad dude, is Al Pacino. Al Pacino and Andy Garcia both play very, very bad men in these movies. And uh, to great effect, I think. Uh, I actually think... Andy Garcia's is a little more badass and scary than Al Pacino's, so how about that? Hmm. Uh, this movie starts with Al Pacino's character and um, Elliot Gould's character. Elliot Gould in the series is sort of the quite often financial backer for these heists, so they'll need him to sort of outlay the money needed to buy all the equipment and shit like that. Apparently him and Al Pacino went in together to buy a, buy, build a giant fancy-ass casino, and uh, Al Pacino, being the dick he is, yeah, see, he's more of a dick than, like, a scary dude, whereas Andy Garcia, although has some dickishness, is uh, perhaps slightly more honorable. Al Pacino squeezes out Elliot Gould's character, which puts him into, like, a, not a coma, just, he doesn't doesn't talk, doesn't move. Super, super depressed, basically. So, all the guys who have worked with him in the past, including in Ocean's 11 and 12, are not too happy about this. So, they want their revenge. They want their revenge, and they want to get Elliot Gould's money back, all the money he sank into, into this casino. So, how do they do it? Do they rob his vault like they did in the first one? No! That would be boring. It would have been just uh, the same as the first one. 
what they decide to do is very, very elaborate. Basically, it is, rather than steal the money from vaults, they rig all of the games to have huge payouts. Uh, this is made difficult by sort of a supercomputer, uh, things they need in order to accomplish. And this include the, uh, the tunnel digger that dug the channel. <laughs> they need pheromones. Mm -hmm. They need a Mexican dice factory. <laughs> they need a magnetron. Mm. And of course, they need a fake nose. Folks, that will end it because I'm at work. Uh, after work, on my drive home, I will have for you my talk slash review of The Hobbit. Love, Zit. Also, love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Welcome back to this Movie Monday episode. I am wondering, and probably thinking that you can hear the rain coming down. I hate it when it rains, when it's podcast time, because I think, well, I know that it's, it certainly does not help the audio quality too much. Uh, on the other hand, it could be worse, because earlier on today... Uh, this is going to be Jordan's weather talk, because I never do that, because it is a boring subject. However, today, while at work, uh, went through, experienced, if you will, one of the strongest storms I have ever been through in my 32, in the 32 years I have lived on this planet. It sounded like, without, without any exaggeration, it sounded like the roof was going to come off. I thought for sure tornado. Uh, after it was kind of over, I googled tornado Orangeville and there was some results for things that happened today. So, pretty interesting. Right now, it's, you know, 5 o'clock, I'm driving home and it's dark out, man. Lightning. There you go. Scary stuff. Let's jump back in to my last movie little film by the name of The Hobbit, colon, not The Hobbit, colon, but The Hobbit, and then at colon, An Unexpected Journey. It was not unexpected from my point of view because um, I sat down with the intention of watching this movie and knew a journey was going to happen, and I also read the book a while back. So let's, why don't I just throw up my rating uh, off the bat, as unprofessionally I like to do. 5 out of 5. Easy, easy 5 out of 5. Loved it. I kind of tried to go in with no expectations, despite being such a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, obviously. Uh, and I think I accomplished that to a large degree. I did sort of uh, shy away from any trailers or hearing people talk about it, basically. Uh, and I... I like to do that for movies such as this, like I'm doing right now with Star Trek Into Darkness. I haven't watched one trailer. I haven't talked to a single person about it. Potentially, maybe, possibly going to see it this uh, this coming weekend, if not next for sure. 
I will bring that back to the liberal group. Don't you worry your sexy little heads. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's uh, jump right in. If you don't know, which I would be kind of surprised if you didn't know, the story is about Mr. Bilbo Baggins. Ah, now the sponsors may be making sense. Bill's Bow Bag Insurance? Uh-huh. You follow me? Yes. And uh, his journey, uh-huh, unexpected from his point of view, to the uh, dwarven kingdom that has been years ago taken over by a dragon by the name of Smog. S-M-A-U-G, I believe. So, that's the story. The end. Uh, one curious thing about this movie, this trilogy, I should say, is that somehow, some way, and I think have done it well so far, they have turned one book into three movies. Whereas with Lord of the Rings, they had three books and three movies. Uh, and the book The Hobbit was not by any means a very long book, whereas the Lord of the Rings trilogy books within it were a little more substantial. So kind of interesting. I think they pulled it off very successfully, though. They sort of delve into things that actually do exist within this world, within other stories, uh, like the, what is it called, the Similclarian, oh, I always say it wrong, Similclarian, oh, God, Similarian, Similclarian, you know what I mean. Anyways, other things that uh, J. R. Tolkien have written, uh, other ideas he has had sort of pop in with that, I don't think, there's bound to be some things sort of made up to f to go into this movie. However, a lot of the additional things that don't appear in The Hobbit are things that did, that were created by J.R.R. Tolkien. So, that's something to keep in mind for people who complain that uh, the movie is not following the book to a T, which I, it doesn't bug me when, when, when that doesn't happen. So, like, just to sort of illustrate that point, how they are spreading it out, within the book, basically... The end of the book is where they reach the Dwarven Kingdom and the dragon, Smaug, Smog, however you want to pronounce it, is there. Uh, in this movie, we basically don't even see him until the sort of very last scene uh, in which we only see kind of his eye opening sort of ominously as if he has awoken from a deep slumber. So that's cool. Basically, Bilbo Baggins is just sort of chilling out, maxing and relaxing in uh, Bag End, when uh, into his life pops Gandalf the Grey. Gandalf the stirrer, the stirrer up of shits in this world, uh, decides that Bilbo is just what he needs, just what he is missing to go on this quest. Uh, also on the quest are uh, Thorin Oakenshield, who is sort of the last remaining... Uh, Prince, the last remaining royalty from the Dwarven realms, him and ten others. <laughs> Quite a group of people. I decided, as I did with the Oceans movies, that I'm not going to name every single one. Uh, IMDb is perfect for that. And you go there, you can see uh, what each of their names is and the actor who played each. Okay, sort of does not make sense for me to run down the entire cast. So I am not going to do so. Uh, I should try to wrap this up pretty quick, is my plan. Let me just run down a few of my notes and see what they have to say. Oh, the so, sort of first first section is takes place in Bilbo's uh, pad. 
If you are unfamiliar with hobbits, they live sort of in underground uh, houses, very uh, very nicely set up. I would live in a hobbit hole. Like it's it's not it's not dirt. I'll tell you that much. They're pretty sweet, sweetly set up. Uh, so the whole first section there is the the dwarves sort of show up unexpectedly, <laughs> and they uh, basically eat all his food. He decides that he is not cut out for this this journey, this quest, and decides not to go. Hmm. Movie over. Uh, I turned it off at the end. No, that is ridiculous. Uh, he wakes up, all the dwarves are gone, and he sort of realizes that an opportunity like this will never come around again, so he chases off after them uh, and joins their merry, somewhat merry group. The, uh, the leader of the group, Thorin Oakenshield, is not uh, exactly a happy camper and a sort of a party pooper brings it down. Then again, uh, great sort of swaths of his race, including family, father, grandfather, have all been killed. So uh, I guess I can understand that he's not the happiest person in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Their first sort of uh, obstacle, I guess you could call it, is trolls. Oh no, trolls. Trolls are never good in fantasy shit. Out of, out of a lot of the things people come across in fantasy novels or video games or movies, trolls are usually some of the worst. Here, this, I think out of any scene in the book that appeared in this movie, this was the most memorable, memorable to me, this whole troll section here. Uh, so I liked it for that reason. And the reason that rather than defeating the trolls through sort of might of arms, it was rather suit through... Uh, Bilbo's, not treachery, but connivery, sneak, sneakalosity. Hmm. One of those made-up words. Folks, I have to stop again. Jesus Christ. I have to stop and get gas. Hmm. Now, if you do recall, and you may, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I stopped not too long ago, won $60 in the lottery, so I'm going to use that to pay for my gas. Yay. That fact, it makes it feel... Like it's like kind of like free gas. Hmm? Does that make sense? I hope it does, because I very infrequently make sense. Back in a mo, I will edit, edit, edit this out. Double edits. Editing, editing, editing. On the road for the fourth time. Road for the fourth time. Okay, mission accomplished, gas received, felt like it was free. $60 winning ticket came to $52 in gas. Yowza, that was expensive. Okay, where did I leave off? Trolls, yeah. Because in, like, I think video games in particularly, they'll only ever die, like, you can chop off pieces of them, and that won't kill them. They'll sort of regrow their limbs and shit, which, that's shitty right there, man, jeez. You need, like, fire to, to, to I guess, cauterize the wound so it doesn't grow back. Didn't really need fire in this case, although I guess they did because they used the sun. Hmm. Apparently, within this universe, trolls exposed to the sun turn stone. Take that. This, the next thing that I remember happening or wrote down that happened is the appearance of Radagast the Brown, friend of Gandalf the Grey. Radagast is sort of like a hermit type, very sort of at one with the forest. This is something else that sort of uh, druid, druid-like. Yeah, very, very druid-like. This is something else that appears in fantasy stuffs from time to time. 
this is also something that uh, I should mention. My memory of reading The Hobbit is not crystal clear, but I think this is sort of the first foray into things not in The Hobbit that I recalled. Am I correct in that assumption? I do not remember. Rain is starting to come down a little worse, so perhaps talking louder will help. I don't know. Apologies. There's nothing I could do about the rain. Nothing. The group on this journey is pursued for uh, most of it, in fact, so far, by orcs. Uh, specifically a white orc. Ooh. A giant white. This guy's uh, pretty badass looking. They went uh, with him sort of full CG, which uh, was an interesting way to go. Quite often in these before, like all your, your orcs and your urukai would be like makeup. But uh, no, full CG for this dude. Him and his white warg that he rode. Uh, in fact, most of the orgs while chasing... The, uh, the company were uh, riding wards. Wards are giant wolf dog kind of things. Pretty badass. Um, would not want to come across one. Probably, for me, scarier uh, just appearing than orcs and sort of humanized bad guys. Yowza, you can barely even see. Next cool thing that I wrote down was uh, traveling on a sort of mountain pass. And then these giant, again, this part I don't remember from the book, maybe it did happen, I don't know. Uh, giant rock creatures sort of came alive around them. When I say giant, I mean they did not even realize they were traveling on top of one of them? What? They thought they were, like, uh, traversing a mountain pass. However, they were actually crawling on one of these giant rock behemoths. The giant rock behemoths, apparently some sort of family feud among them and started kicking the shit out of each other. Uh, so as you can imagine, not a place you want to be. Mm. After escaping that, they are then captured by goblins. Oh man, goblins? Goblins are in this and in fantasy in general sort of the lowest of the low when it comes to uh, fantasy created bad guys. I always put goblins at the very lowest. They're just sort of like, uh, like, like cat and fodder is a good way to look at them. However, the, uh, goblin king in this was also, they did full sort of CGI for him as well. And he was cool to look at. Had sort of a giant growth on his neck. Pretty disgusting. Blech. Mimicic, as the missus would say. He was, uh, both the Mrs. and I mentioned, oh, I, I should mention that she watched this with me, along with two of our friends who we had over for uh, dinner and a little barbecue and a little hobbits. Lovely. That plan had been on the books for, since we basically heard of the existence of this movie, it felt like, so it's nice to, uh, to get her to, Jesus Christ. So uh, both of Mrs. and I felt like we had heard, uh, recognized the voice of uh, the Goblin King. I don't know how she would have, or fucking A. Or even, <laughs> oh man, I don't know how it will be possible for you to hear me. It is coming down very, very bad. I can basically not see. 
Uh, I'll take this over snow, though. Anyways, the voice of the Goblin King, if you can hear me, if you can hear my voice, was done by... Oh, I didn't write down his name. Shit. Anyways, the guy who is... Who is Dame Edna? Dame Edna is probably the world's most famous cross-dresser. <laughs> he had one very, very funny line on it at his death. Well, there's a little spoiler for you. I won't give it away because I don't remember and I can't see where I'm driving. So after they escape the goblins, they're on the run once again from the orcs. The orcs on wars. They hide in a bunch of trees and then the trees are sort of lit on fire or fall over. They're in a tough scrape. So Gandalf uses his ability we know he has from Lord of the Rings. He talks to a moth and sends it on its way. The moth then brings back a uh, whole bunch of rocks. Rocks, of course, I mean giant eagle things. They then fly off on the backs of these things only after uh, Bilbo has saved Thorin Oakenshield from this giant white orc. They fly off, land, and that's the end of the movie. With the exception of, I mentioned earlier, how we see the eye of the dragon open. Because he is now awake. Folks, I think the possibility exists that you did not hear any of this. Ah, shit. It is coming down like just unbelievable. Probably worse than I ever remember it driving home. So, uh, if you can't hear this, I don't know what to tell you. Apologies. We'll call this the Lost Hobbit episode. I will say, and I'm going to say it very loud, because I need, at the very least, to end this episode with, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper